Well, good morning. He mentioned I was from America. I think as soon as I opened my mouth, everybody would have recognized that. But I'm uh, actually from the southern part of America, the, from Georgia, which we say is a southern draw. So hopefully you can understand. Oh, okay. Am I running it? Okay. Um, hopefully you'll be able to understand me as we move along here. Um, and I, I, I think I, uh, I messed up a bit. And, and the reading that we read uh, was a bit early in the passage, so that was my fault. So uh, if it's okay, I'm going to read um, the exact verses we're going to cover this morning in Romans 8. Um, but it will be on the screen, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. And that's just because <clears throat> that's what I had at the time. Um, that's what we were using. Um, and there's only a, a few verses here. I'm going to be reading from uh, verses 12 to uh, 16. And while you're looking for that, um, just a little introduction. I'm Russell, and my wife's Amanda, and our youngest lad is here, Watts. Um, our middle son is with us here in Ireland. He's at Ballycullen helping with some of the technology this morning. Um, well, we moved here last May, so we're here just over a year um, after about 20 years of ministry in America, serving the church there. Um, and our last uh, ministry assignment was uh, starting a new church in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, through that experience, God led us to an organization that's actually been here serving in Ireland for nearly 50 years. Uh, it used to be called World Harvest Mission, now it's called Surge. And our main purpose nowadays is to come along Irish uh, church leaders, Irish church planters, Irish church pastors offer coaching, mentoring, anything we can do to help these guys be successful and sustainable in ministry. Um, and so uh, it's a real pleasure to be here and thank you guys for, for having me this morning. So let's turn back into the Word of God. This is Romans 8 verses 12 through, um, we'll go through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him let's pray heavenly father we we come to your word humbly but we also come gladly knowing that the 66 books of the old and new testament the bible is in fact the word of God and we know that it is breathed out by you is your revelation to us, Lord. And so when we come to it, we know that we would hear from you because it is your word to us. So this morning, open our hearts and our minds, open our ears that we might hear. And uh, may, more than anything, may we see the beauty of your son, Jesus. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In 1799, a little young lad named Connor Reed and his buddy were out at a nearby stream fishing and while they were fishing he looked over into the bed of this little stream and there was a big shiny rock 
And he thought that was really pretty, pretty cool. And so he took this rock home to his dad. And his dad really liked the rock too. He thought it was a really pretty rock. And so he used this rock to do what a good rock would do, is they used it for a doorstop on the front door to hold open the door on the hot summer days. Well, a few years later, about three years later, it just so happened a jeweler was coming through town from New York City. And when he came into the house, he, he, he caught a glance of that rock as he came in. And I think they had a nice tall glass of ice sweet tea, which they have in southern United States. And on his way out, he, he said, hey, Mr. Reed, do you mind if I buy that rock from you? I will give you $3 for that rock. Now, this was $17.99. $3 was a lot of money back then. And so Mr. Reed was quite pleased with that. And so he let this guy take it for $3. Only to find out a little while later that that rock was actually three pounds of uh, rough gold, valuing at the time about a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars. And I bring that story up because I think as God's people, as 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 believers, and maybe if you're not a believer this morning, I think there's a reality, there's a truth so beautiful and so valuable to leave it sitting as a proverbial doorstop would be a shame. There is a truth in the Christian faith that is so beautiful that we need to, to, to real, realize the reality, the value of what we have. So Paul, the Apostle Paul here in Romans 8 He's at the pinnacle of one of the greatest books of the Bible. In, he, in Romans, he starts with, first, we're sinners. We're all, we all fall short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, no, not one. But while we were yet enemies, while we were yet sinners, God sent his own son, Christ, and he died for us so that we might receive Full forgiveness for our sin. And not only that, he goes on to say that because of Christ's death on the cross, we take, we, he took our sin, we actually take his righteous record to ourselves. So that if you are in Christ now, he's going to start this chapter with, there is no condemnation. Your record is clean. When God looks at you, he sees you as perfect and righteous though you likely are not. And then, here in Romans 8, declaring there's no condemnation, he goes to the top pillar, the pinnacle of the Christian faith, and declares that if we are in Christ, we are actually invited in to become his sons and daughters. And now, if you were reading there with me, the NIV says children of God there. And that's very inclusive, and that is good, because it's not a respecter of men or women. However, Paul says sons of God. And what he means here is a firstborn son. 
that each and every, whether you're a male or female or whoever you are, in Christ you are invited in to become the firstborn son of God. In other words, you get the full inheritance, all the rights that come with a firstborn son. And so we get to one of the most amazing realities of the gospel, which is our adoption as sons and daughters great theologian J.I. Packer put it this way, adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. So, okay, good. Here, we're on track. Yeah, I made, I'm not good at this, so maybe just try to follow along. Yeah, <laughs> I'm ADD. This does not help. Sorry. And so, this truth that we are now adopted as sons and gods, it creates three very, very important realities that I would like for us to look at this morning. Three essential realities of our adoption. And the first of those realities is, is that this is a binding legal reality. It's a binding legal reality. And throughout the New Testament, there's multiple places that it declares that if we are in Christ, we are in fact now children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. Um, and you see it here directly here in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. It's, amazing. it's a beautiful teaching. But there's a teaching out, there's a broader teaching in the Christian world that would maybe we might de describe as being more liberal in view, would say, we're all children of God. Everybody's a children of God. Everybody's a child of God. Now, let me say, that is in, in, sen in one sense true. Because we are created by God, we are in fact his children. However, the Bible does describe that we have rejected that Reality. We've rejected this sonship or this, this uh, fatherhood of God. And so, in fact, teaching of the New Testament, like in Paul's Ephesians 2, he says, we're not children of God any longer. We are by nature children of wrath. Because we've turned away from him, we are, in fact, children of wrath unless we come and we come to know him in Christ. And the gl glorious truth here we see that is in Christ, we are now adopted as his sons and daughters. Okay? So what does that mean? What does this look like? What does it mean that we are adopted? Okay? Well, let me, I want to use a personal example. Um, uh, when I married my wife, um, Amanda over here, lovely, um, six months after that, I adopted her son named Ashton, who at the time was uh, five, five years old, six, I think he just turned six. And so it, it was a legal process. So we had to uh, file, we had to hire a lawyer, file paperwork and, and things with the courts, they didn't understand any of it. That's why you hire the lawyer, right? And, you know, you pay your fees, of course. And then on the day, we had a court appointment. We were scheduled to, to arrive at the, the big courthouse, and we were going in. And uh, I'm thinking, like, those old Perry Mason move shows, you know, with 
the old crime shows and there's mahogany and there's the, there's a lawyer there on the, on the bench and everything. But it was just a little office. I was really kind of disappointed. <laughs> he did have the gavel though. He had the little wooden hammer. Because if you don't have the little wooden hammer, it's not legit, right? It must not be. So here we are. We're in this little office and this judge at one point addresses me directly. And he says, Mr. Jeffries, do you understand what's, what's happening here? Do you understand this undertaking? I was like, I think so. He's like, well, let me make it clear. He says, you are now going to legally be taking this young man, Ashton, who is not your son, and he will now be legally your son. And you will be legally required to take care of him, to provide for him. And one day when you die, your millions will go to him. <laughs> so it was a legal process in which Ashton, who was not my son, was transferred legally to be my son. And the interesting part about this is I've heard in times and other times that uh, it's actually easier to disown a biological son than it is an adopted son. But here, So here's the reality. That God, in the act of adoption, and I won't do that, Watts, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you guys. <laughs> That's funny. He's over there, oh no, I'm in trouble. <laughs> you could have some of my millions too. So... But there is, it's a legal process in which God legally binds himself to you. You hear this? Paul's using legal terms here. And when he describes this, he is himself to you as the father. And it can't be undone. Because he is the great judge. He is the righteous holiness of God. He cannot go against his word. You hear that? So the very justice of God that might have sent you to hell now hangs on to you with steel clasps. And so now we have the right to be called God's sons and daughters. The right. We we like rights, especially Americans. We love our rights, especially when it comes to, I, I, I have a right to have my latte made just the way I want it, on time, or else, right? But Western culture, we talk about rights a lot. But here's the, play, the one place in the Bible that gives us a clear and definitive right. If you are in Christ by faith, you have the right be called a son or daughter of God. Matter of fact, the Apostle John, the first uh, chapter of John, he described, he actually says this very clearly. He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so, the this is a phrase that you might want to remember. The image of adoption tells us that our relationship with God is based completely on a legal act accomplished by the Father. 
So in other words, your relationship with God is based on a legal act accomplished by the Father. Okay? Parentheses, not you. You didn't cause it. You can't break it. <laughs> so uh, Tim Keller put it this way. Timothy Keller, a pastor, he's just actually recently passed away from New York City, said it this way, really well said here. He says, you don't win a father. You don't negotiate for a parent, though at times you might have wanted to, or maybe still do, don't say it to them. But you don't win a father, you don't negotiate for a parent. Adoption is a legal act on the part of the father. It is very expensive and costly only for him. There's nothing the son does to win or earn the status. It is simply received. And so here's the question. Have you received it? It's a free gift. You receive it by believing it and receiving it. That's it. You don't do anything for it. So have you this morning? Now this is a very intellectual idea. And it is a, this, legal, this aspect of it being a legal binding reality. But it's not only a legal binding reality. Secondly, it's a loving relational reality. A loving relational reality. In this gracious act of adoption, God is drawing us, calling us into a new and special relationship with him. Okay? It's one thing to be adopted legally. It's another... Are you known? Are you loved? Are you in a relationship with that person? Um, look with me in verse uh, 15 here. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So there's two, two aspects to this verse. Give us the shape of this relationship. And the first is actually the last part of it. Notice he says that at the heart of this relationship is the ability for us to come to him and cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. All right? Okay, this is, this is the sense, this word Abba here is, is it, it brings this sense of intimacy and closeness. It's to say almost daddy, dad. You know, it's not like we, you, my kids don't come to me and say, dear father. <laughs> or I, I said one time, reverend father. <laughs> they don't do that. It's dad, dad. You know, it's this, it, but it's a, it's a sign of claim. But this is, where, this is the word, these, this, this is the term Jesus used in his relationship with the father himself. For example, in the Garden of Gethsemane. What does he cry out? Abba. The Lord's Prayer, we're taught to pray what? Our Abba, Father. Okay? And this flows out of the most glorious, one of the most glorious truths, or the glorious truth of the gospel, is what we call the great exchange. Is that we now have the same loving relationship that Jesus had with the Father. Because he took our position of sin and brokenness and he paid for that on the cross. And in the same place, we step into his position as God's son. And now that relationship that, the, that Jesus had with the father is now a relationship we can step into. The same one. 
So, for example, when Jesus was baptized at the beginning of his ministry, and if you recall, he was baptized and the dove comes down, the spirit comes down, the symbol of the dove. And some people thought it was thunder, but others who were listening heard the voice of God declare, Behold, my son, with whom I am well pleased. You see, in, in the gospel, that is what God declares on you. My son, my daughter, with whom I am well pleased. That is the beauty of the gospel. There's another aspect to this. So this aspect of Abba, Father. But there's another thing that comes out in this verse. He says that we are no longer in this spirit of slavery. Like he says in the verse, we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received a spirit of adoption. So we are no longer in the spirit of slavery. What does this mean? Spirit of slavery. Well, let me share my story a little bit. When I, when I came to know Jesus, so I, my, my, year, my secondary school year, so when I was in what would have been uh, third year maybe, I remember sitting in science class, and they were talking, I don't, the first time I'd ever heard them talk about the theory of evolution. And for me at the time, it was like, light bulb, that means there's no God, right? So if you can explain away God, then, then I can do whatever I want to do. And so I did. For the next several years of my life, I, that was my, my goal, was to do whatever I felt like. Although I had two laws for myself, two rules. Don't hurt anybody else and don't hurt yourself. And then for the next several years, I, I broke those laws in every way you could think of. But when I did finally, when, a long story, but finally came back around investigating the claims of Christianity for real and met the person Jesus in the book of John and came to faith. I remember the day, I, I remember this pastor sent this little book home with me and it said, you're, you're a sinner. I was like, yeah, check. Do you believe that Jesus was the son of God and he died for your sins and so on? Yes, check. And it said, your sins are forgiven. I remember that moment where I, it was this awesome moment for the first time, I had received the full forgiveness of my sins. And I felt like I could have floated out of the room. And so from that point on, I did what I thought I needed to do, which is like be a good Christian. And so that meant like get, I had to get a haircut. This was my idea of what it was. You know, I had to buy a tie so I could go to church, you know, have nice trousers you know, had to quit smoking cigarettes. I had to quit doing this, quit doing that, whatever. And I was doing pretty good with this stuff. I started, like, people were amazed at, like, this, like, punk skater kid who all of a sudden looks totally different. And people talk about, oh, man, the transformation. But then I started to read the Bible. Places like Matthew chapter 5, where it says, if you have anger in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. You've looked lustily upon a woman. You've committed adultery in your heart. And it, went, it just keeps going. It gets worse. And I'm like realizing, like, wait a minute. I have all this stuff going on inside. But I look around at all the other Christians, and they look like they've got it going pretty good. You know? They look like they're, they're, they're really nice, and they're doing good things and whatever. And I see that's going on inside. 
And so I start to feel like a second-class Christian. I actually literally had this idea in my head that, and I believed, because I believed when I died, I was going to go to heaven. I believed that I was saved, I, that Jesus paid the full penalty of my sin. That wasn't the issue. I just felt like all this stuff, I was just a second-class Christian. And so that one day when I died, I was going to like slip into heaven like as the doors were about to shut. You know, you see it? And that I was going to be there in heaven, but I was going to almost be like stowaway in heaven, like hiding behind the, the rubbish cans or whatever, like... You know, and hopefully they won't discover I'm really here because I don't really belong here. See, what I had, what had fallen and slipped back into was a spirit of slavery and fear. And so he says we don't. Instead, we have a spirit of adoption. So in other words, God didn't just, doesn't just forgive us. Okay, and now we must slave our way for the Father and fear that we might break the relationship somehow or he might be done with us. Or maybe you feel like he might already be done with you. Okay, we better shape up or else. That's the, that's the spirit of slavery. Okay, but and actually, there's a, another great picture of this in the Gospel of Luke. Um, we call it the prodigal son. Have you heard the story of prodigal son? Yeah, hang on to that right there. We're going to come to that verse in a second. So I'm, let me just remind you all the story in case you don't remember the story. So there was a son. He was a younger son, actually. And he asked his father, hey, I would like all my inheritance now. Which in, a, in that cultural time would have said, I don't love you. I don't care about you. I'd rather you be dead. So I just want you to go ahead and give me my inheritance now. And that's what he did. And he takes it off all this money. And it says he squanders it in wild living. And it says that, you know, and so he ends up broken, poor, who knows what he's gone through. And he's having, as a Jew, to feed uh, pigs. So here he is in the pig slop having to, to do this. And it says that he came to his senses. So he realized, you know what, there's... Uh, gotta be a better way and so he's like well maybe if I make a deal with my dad he'll let me back and so he crafts a script and here's the script he says I, he, I will yeah, see, I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him so here's his script father I have a sin against heaven and before you get going I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So here's his script. So his plan is to broker a deal with his father. Hey, if, if, if I just go and I, I can be a slave, I can, I, you don't even have to know I'm around. Because I'm not worthy to be called your son. So he's got this script in mind, and he starts to make his way to home, to his father. And his father sees him coming. And let me ask you, what would your response be? Arms crossed, shaking your head, tapping your toe, rolling your eyes, who knows, right? Maybe slamming the door, turning away. 
No, but that is not his response. It says, the father ran out to him, embraces him. Now think of the smell. Think of his condition. Where has he been? Some of you guys know pig farmers around here. Fair play, right? He embraces him, kisses him, and then he begins to celebrate that his son, who was lost, has now come home. And here's the thing. This, this guy never got the word of his little script out of his mouth. And thank God. But how often are we making deals with God? Well, God, if I, if I stop doing X, Y, or Z, or if I start going to church every Sunday, if I tithe, if I do my quiet time, if, if, if I do this, if I don't do that, and we're making our deals. Because, Father, I am not worthy to be called your son. Well, of course you're not. But it was paid for with his blood. Your adoption was ratified in the courts of eternity. See, here's a beautiful truth of the gospel. No matter where you are, even as a Christian or non-Christian, if you even begin to turn back to God, he runs to you. So, so legal binding reality, it's a loving relational reality, but lastly, it's a powerful transforming reality. And I'm going a bit long, I think, so bear with me because this is, I think, where it gets good. Okay, powerful transforming reality. See, it, this truth, I believe, will totally transform our relationship with God. Why? Because it's characterized by the phrase, we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Abba, Father. So this little phrase here, I think, sums up our relationship with God. Let me give you an example. There was a, a pastor and his wife who lived in a little town called Dothan, Alabama. If you don't know where that is, you're not alone. No idea where that is. But it's in Alabama, the state in the southern part of the United States. And he and his wife couldn't have children they wanted to adopt, and so they went through this big process with an adoption agency, and it turned out that the best option for them at the time, this was before the Ukraine war and everything, but was to adopt this child from Russia. And so they did all the paperwork, did all the things, and part of the process was that they would then have to travel over to Russia and go to an orphanage and select a kid. You know, how do you do that? I don't know. But here they go, and they go, and the day they went to this orphanage, this, this pastor described, like, he had no idea what to expect. Like, here he's going into the former Soviet Union to an orphanage. Like, he had all kinds of images in his head and stuff. And he said when he actually, when he got there, the facility was actually really modern and nice. He was like, you know, didn't expect that. But here they go, and they're in, they're in this orphanage. Eventually, they, 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 they meet some of the kids, and they, they kind of begin to narrow down on one little lad. But he said, like, there was something really wrong about the place. There's something just wasn't right. They just couldn't quite 
puts her finger until his wife, like that, I think it was like the first or second night that they were there, she, she said, you know what it is? The place is quiet. It's like eerily quiet. And he was like, yeah. like, if you've ever been around kids, one thing that doesn't happen is quiet. Because, especially little kids, because the, the God created little kids with the most brilliant design. Because they can't eat for themselves. They can't warm themselves. They can't change themselves. They can do nothing for themselves. But God created one little superhuman, like, superpower. You know what I'm talking about. And when it happens, you know, most adults are, you know, clamoring to figure out, what do we do? How do we stop it? You know, you know, parents are in action, you know, especially seasoned parents, like third kid parents, you know, they're, they're, they have like five kids hanging on them and they're, you know, they're doing, and then like young people are like, we're out of here, see ya, you know, get that thing out of here. But when they start making this superpower noise, we start moving, right? So there's the natural byproduct of children is noise. And so here they are in this orphanage and there's no noise. And then... He said that then it really struck us that the, maybe the reason these kids weren't making any noise, they weren't crying out or anything, is because they had lost hope that anybody would answer. They had lost any hope that somebody would answer and come to their aid. So they had just learned to be quiet. See, this is where our growth as God's people can be transformed. When we reject the idea that God isn't listening. When we reject this thought that we have to broker deals, that we have to figure out some way that God might hear us. The fact is that we are called to cry out. We no longer have to broker deals with God to be in his favor. We simply cry out. So no more spirit of slavery to access God. We, the spirit witnesses our spirits. We cry, cry out, Abba, Father. And this word that he uses here, cry out, is what do you think it? It's like a baby crying. Or if you stub your toe. Or if you, know, if you get hurt, you cry out. Well, there's the end of that story. He said that um, they, they, they kind of narrowed down to one young lad. And they, it was, they were there like a week or, I don't know, you know, it was a good period of time. They began to build a relationship with this young lad who was maybe about one, one and a half. And he, they said it was just so sweet, you know. He started to really open up to them and, you know, started, you know, responding and trusting and playing with them or whatever. But because of the, the rules of the courts or whatever, they would have to leave this orphanage and travel home for everything to be finalized. And then at a later date would be reunited with the young lad. And so then, so then the fateful day came where they would have to leave this little young lad they had begun to build a relationship with. And they said it was like the hardest thing they've ever done. And so they, they were there with him and having a good time, and then it was time to go. 
and there's tears or whatever. And they said they started to, they were leaving the room and they were going out the door. And he said the most amazing thing happened. He said that little young lad fell back into his crib and began to wail. I said it was brutal, but it was so sweet at the same time. Because for the first time in his life, he would cry out, believing he was being heard. It was the first time. So we're called to cry out. He finally knows he has a daddy to listen to him. Later in this passage, eight, verse 32 in chapter 8, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So the, the Father has given us a binding legal reality that can never be changed, can never be altered, can never be revoked. And so we don't have to live in a spirit of slavery and fear. We don't have to broker deals with God. We don't have to worry. We can come to him and freely cry out to him. And guess what? He will freely give you everything you need. He longs to do that. So cry out to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you. Um, that you give us this truth that we are in fact adopted as your sons and daughters, Lord. And so, Father, I pray it would transform our approach and our relationship to you, Lord, that we wouldn't have to skulk around in fear, stow away in your relationship. And I pray, Father, I pray also we wouldn't leave this truth it's a proverbial doorstop ignored but this truth would drive us deeper into relationship with you where we would come to you constantly crying out abba father father i send help me father i'm afraid help me father i'm grieving help me father things are going great I don't have to fear you're going to take him away. Thank you, Father. Abba, Father, we cry to you. Help us to cry to you constantly. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.